Hello and welcome to The Gray Area. I am Genesee Gray, your host, and today we are going to talk to Shell Games. Very excited to introduce Dave Bennett, Project Director, and Patrick Gilbert, Design Director. And we're gonna talk about Until You Fall and all about what they're up to. And you know the first question, guys, I love to ask is what's your news of the week? So let's start with Dave. Dave, what's your news of the week? Boy, uh, well, right now, at least for Until You Fall, I'm working on making sure that the next update that we're preparing for is ready to go. Uh, today's the last day of actual feature development before we hit QA. Mm. So it's kind of like the last minute, oh God, is everything okay? <laughs> Check before we move into uh, the next uh, phase of the patch. Okay. How about you, Patrick? I guess mine is uh the halloween party coming up today there there's an indie games uh group in pittsburgh called bitbridge and they host a big indie games showcase oh i saw uh, an evite is there an evite about that yeah 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 cool so is it physical like you're gonna show up there and make things yep we're gonna we're gonna show up there it's for all indie developers in pittsburgh and the surrounding area to kind of show off their games to a to a more public venue and until you fall we'll be there okay that's super fun are you gonna dress up yes absolutely yeah, costumes <laughs> are a big thing there <laughs> okay are you gonna dress up and cosplay until you fall because that would be challenging though uh I thought about it. I couldn't quite get together the glowing blue bodysuit. <laughs> right. I do have something in the space. Sort adjacent. Sort adjacent. Excellent. Sort adjacent. Okay. Please tell me you're not going to do like a lot of game devs and put like a giant pumpkin head on one of the knights or something. <laughs> like, there's no no in early access pumpkin head happening um, in your future. There wasn't, but I wish you could see the way that Dave's looking at me right now. <laughs> He's like, hmm, maybe. That's pretty on brand. Yeah. Okay, well, if <laughs> if the Headless Horseman shows up as a boss suddenly, then I'm taking full credit. Yes, as well you should. <laughs> Good. So I know you guys from I Expect to Die, which I believe I played last year, possibly at one of the PAXs. So how's that going for you guys? Uh, I Expect to Die is going good. Uh, I think... Can we talk about the level? It's coming out sometime in 2019. Yeah, there's, there's a new, there is a new level that's coming out at some point this year. Uh, I don't believe there's a date officially announced, but it is in the works. Uh, so yeah, the Until You Fall team's working on keeping uh, the early access going, and then we have other folks working on this new level. Okay. Excellent. Well, you guys have quite the eclectic studio. I mean, you have Until You Fall, you have I Expect to Die, and then Daniel Tiger goes potty or something like that. So, <laughs> so how, did, how did all this come about? Well, I mean, so Shell Games does a lot of different types of projects. We do a lot of uh, original IP, so I Expect You to Die, uh, Until You Fall. My personal favorite is with my baby, the Ryan Trail. But, uh, <laughs> but, but in addition to those, we do a lot of different types of client work as well. So we do uh, themed uh, lo uh, location-based entertainment. We do grant-based stuff like um, Happy Adams and was it History Maker? History Maker. Yeah, History Maker VR. Yeah, and HoloLab Champions, which is kind of a teaches you how to use uh, lab equipment properly in VR. And then in addition to that, like again, we have all sorts of client-based work that ranges from mobile apps to theme park rides to God knows what else. I think one uh, one of the ones I was on in the past was a 
museum experience where kids got to pretend to be super spies. Ooh. And so basically there's hidden clues around the uh, museum and kids get to find those clues and go on these little basically uh, super spy quests and try to uh, solve the puzzles. Yeah, so it, it, it sounds like an eclectic mix, but it actually blends really nicely and creates kind of a nice culture because uh, show games comes from a background as like building educational games. And there's a lot that you can learn when you go through uh, the ropes as a designer for educational games, figuring out how to get people to learn things in ways that are intuitive and easy to pick up. And then on the other half of that, uh, being able to work on games that are just, just for fun and just to make people happy and make their day is something that is useful for the educational side to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, so that you're not trying to like do chocolate covered broccoli and sugarcoat the, <laughs> the quizzes that you're always asked to build in. I feel like there's a story there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> essentially, we're all five-year-olds, so I think that's a really good way. At least you, you've got the basics. <laughs> you've got the basics on teaching. Uh, let's see. So I cheated a little bit by looking at your website, which is really comprehensive, and I learned about you, Patrick, but Dave is apparently not on the list of happy people because there was no site that I could find for you. Like, there was no descriptor for you. So, so I don't know what you did to take off the web designer, but just say <laughs> Take it away, Shadow Dave. Yeah. <laughs> the, the man, the mystery. <laughs> yes. There you go. Um, so I guess talking, let's talk about this. I always want to know like where developers decided that they wanted to get into games and if they, if they were players as children, etc. So let's start with Patrick, who's a little less of a mystery, except Lockheed Martin, Patrick. Um, do you want to talk about like how you got into games and, and were you a player as a kid? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I love playing games. I loved, uh, building RPGs for my friends, uh, and sort of knew that I wanted to work in games from, from pretty early on, like, like a lot of people. Uh, and I ran the gamut of uh, originally wanting to be in animation. And I went to college for animation and technical animation and rigging. Uh, and that's how I sort of ended up at Lockheed Martin as an offer right out of college. Uh, but even, even while I was there, you know, it was a, my first job out of college uh, and I was learning how to work as part of a team, learning how to do uh, more, more of the technical aspects of a job, uh, and then bouncing from there back into grad school just to try and get into the industry. Okay, yeah. No pressure, I mean, <laughs> no pressure doing things at Lucky that could affect people's sexual lives. And then- uh, That's a big part of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So shout out to Pittsburgh, PA, because I'm over here in Harrisburg. So mm -hmm. yes, representing Pennsylvania. Um, Dave, your Twitter feed is filled with nonsense. <laughs> you need okay, to... <laughs> if, you, if you go to my Twitter feed, it is just stupid stuff I'm finding and think is funny, so congratulations. <laughs> so, so you're going to have to uh, reveal a little more of the mystery, roll back the fog of war, as it were. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, it's funny, because originally I've always been playing games, uh, but it was not clear to me that it was a thing you could do as a career, and so honestly I was actually more interested in film originally. Uh, and so. I was doing a lot of work and studying to like basically make documentary films. And then my senior year of high school, I had this kind of crisis of faith where I was like, oh God, I don't know if I actually want to do this. I want to go to business school. And then I did. Uh, and so at business school, I, learned, I majored in information systems. So it was a weird program. But 
the idea was that, yep, I'll be writing, I'll learn how to write code to create business applications and manage databases and mm. stuff like that. And so I kind of had this technical background, but again, games was always kind of the throughput. Entertainment was always the throughput. And it wasn't clear, like, these are things I really care about, but again, I didn't have a really clear path forward for how to get into the industry. Uh, and then eventually, kind of, again, senior year, another crisis of confidence. Of, oh God, I don't want to be in this, I don't want to be managing databases. I'm good at it, but I don't like it. So how can I take this, these technical skills that I kind of built up and how can I do them, use them to make something that I care about? And I kind of tried to basically uh, use those skills and just started making a bunch of small games and try to learn how to use basic game engines, like learn how to write C-sharp, uh, and work with artists in the, uh, at the university to just basically take uh, and it was with that where I ended up applying to graduate school, uh, the Entertainment Technology Center. Uh, and it was kind of there where I was like, okay, no, I can do this, and kind of kept going from there. Awesome. So for indie companies especially, titles have various meanings and encompass a lot of different kind of tasking. So for Patrick, what is, de- what is a design director? And then I'll ask the same for Dave when it comes to Shell's perception. Sure. Sure. So uh, we're a pretty small team. So uh, it means that when our team is at its smallest size, I'm the designer. Uh, and as we staff up uh, for like full production and things, more specialized designers will come out to come on to help things with content and uh, levels. And then what I uh, end up sort of leading is the vision for the systems and the enemy AI. Hmm. So it, it changes a bit from project to project, but on Until You Fall, uh, a lot of my responsibilities were building the, figuring out the core combat systems, figuring out the balance of the weapons. Uh, early on, I did a lot, of, a lot more hands-on prototyping, trying to get the feel of the weapons right. And then towards the end of the project, I was mostly doing um, enemy AI and sort of setting up the encounter design. So you're the guy we get mad at. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. Okay, how about you, Dave? (laughs) (laughs) This balance is bullshit. That guy's OP. Why did you change this? No, we will never do that. Don't do that, audience, ever. (laughs) Dave, Dave, what about project director? Oh, man. Uh, It also varies from project to project. Uh, I like to describe it as you do everything but also nothing. Uh, It's a lot of talking at the end of the day. But (laughs) for Until You Fall, it it involves a lot of kind of maintaining the player fantasy, what the vision of the experience is going to be. Uh, It's not quite a creative director because, again, it's... uh, I think that's more of a collaborative effort between all the other directors on the team, but it is kind of like... Hey, are we all moving in the, the right direction? Are we moving? Are we building a cohesive product and cohesive game? And basically, it is sitting down, talking to people, reviewing the game, making sure that uh, it's living up to the standards that uh, I believe in, as well as just the, what the studio believes in. Um, we all, the project directors at the studio, also are generally responsible for interfacing with the client. And this, and until you fall's case, there wasn't really a client, but it was kind of working with studio management to make sure that we're all. Hitting the, hitting the goals that I think the studio find important, as well as making sure that everyone finds the game that we're making actually good and fun. Okay. So, yeah, in a lot of ways, for uh, IPs in the studio, we we say that the client is the studio itself. Yeah. So how, how the game is polling internally and how popular it is to be played internally 
uh, factors a lot into our decision making day to day. Yeah. Okay. That's neat. You're like the first fans. So let's go to the game. We've been kind of referencing this entire time. So for people who haven't played Until You Fall, winner of two GDX awards, what would you say it is? And and why why Until You Fall, isn't it? Uh, well, Until You Fall, the whole idea is that it is a hack and slash VR rogue light. Uh, so the idea is that you are a badass sword knight thing. Uh, you're not, you don't start go from zero to hero, you start as an awesome knight and become even more awesome. Uh, but the idea is that you engage in kind of very kinetic and visceral melee combat uh, where you try to go as far as you can until you fall in combat. Uh, and so each run you are gaining temporary upgrades as well as a kind of a permanent currency that you can then use to buy new weapons and upgrade your other weapons permanently. Uh, and the idea is that as you are gaining skill and strength, you'll be able to get further and further into this, uh, into the campaign. So uh, explain to me, because this, this is something that's bugged me for a while, not necessarily related to this, but we've made and played roguelikes, roguelites. Yeah. What's a rogue? <laughs> it's all it's all imitating the rogue. What is it? There, there have been deep philosophical conversations <laughs> in the studio about this. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you, want, you want to explain what a rogue is? All right. Uh... Sure, I'll, I'll, make, I'll make people mad at me. Um, <laughs> let's see if I can get this right. So Rogue was a game that had all of the hallmarks of what we think of as roguelikes. And in the same way that there are now many like Souls-like games, there was a game called Rogue, and you had uh, dungeon depths, and you, it was punishingly difficult, and there was permadeath, and there was food mechanics and all that. It's randomized. Yep, and... Uh, rogue likes are things that take uh, parts of that, typically the permadeath, and then rogue lights, L-I-T-E, are things that soften the permadeath uh, loop so that you are still making progress even if the majority of your progress is reset on death. Okay. Uh, and there, it gets deep. There have been very, <laughs> I've been told, uh, heated debates uh, held in Europe about the formal definition of a roguelike, and there's a calculator where you can figure out if you're a roguelike or a roguelike-like or a roguelike-like-light. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, well... So, so technically, we are, according to the calculator, a roguelike-light. <laughs> okay. There, but that's just too long. Can't market that. I yeah, right. Exactly. Okay, so Dave, you said during pre-production that the most contentious thing wasn't combat, it was movement. And I think that's really important because for me, I play this, the demo at um, PAX, uh, one of them, maybe West. <laughs> and West. yeah, yeah, been, been to all of them this year. I forget sometimes. Um, but yeah, West. And, and uh, for me, I get motion sick. And I do have an Oculus and, and I play my, with my Vive. In some games, definitely are things I'll know within five minutes I can't play. Uh, this is not one of those. And I really enjoyed this because I'm always looking for games that have some physicality to it so I can, you know, kind of tangentially work out without realizing that I'm working out. That's always my philosophy when it comes to working out. So, uh, so yeah, so how did you achieve this in a way that somebody like me who definitely does get motion sick can still play this and, and participate? Well... I think Patrick can talk a little more about the, the technical aspects of it, but there was a lot of early prototyping done because uh, the team felt very important that having some form of movement in a melee game was 
crucial. Uh, and because the core fantasy of this game was to have, be a cool, awesome knight, it's hard to feel awesome if you feel sick. Uh, <laughs> So it was very important for the team and the studio to make sure that we weren't uh, getting people sick and because we, we didn't want to exclude anyone from being able to play this game. Uh, so really what uh, the early research that was done was uh, the technique we're using is called vignetting. Uh, and the idea is that while you're moving in the game, we bring in the uh, kind of your periphery and show you a false horizon line. So kind of the same idea that when you get sick at sea, if you look at the horizon, mm -hmm. uh, that can help settle your stomach. But and VR, because you're uh, moving in a way that your brain is thinking that you're being poisoned and you need to stop, uh, what we're doing is we give you that false horizon line in the headset. And so what works out to our benefit too is that because you are so focused on the combat and you're kind of so focused on the kind of the dude right in front of you that you're trying to not get hit by and also hit, mm -hmm. uh, you don't end up noticing the vignetting nearly as much as I think you would in another type of game. Neat. Well, the dodging definitely adds an aspect too. And it's neat that you kind of layer those, you know, on each other. And, and even the dodging, I don't feel ill, which is nice. Yeah, we wanted, we, we supported both the kind of left stick movement, which we call walking. So it's just kind of a slower, like more uh, measured pace of walking and then we also have the sort of teleport movement but we call it a dash and we wanted to make it a limited resource because if you could infinitely dash you would be able to avoid combat entirely which was not what we want mm -hmm. so we tried to turn it into a combat mechanic where you actually shoulder check the enemy so it's now on a, it's a limited resource but it's powerful so yeah there there are a lot of things that we did to address motion sickness like the the vignetting is definitely that was the that was the golden bullet for us because the first prototypes for this game were can this be a game where we have movement or or do we have to construct these levels in a way where you would stand still uh, and we weren't super excited about that but we had to prove to ourselves in the studio that we wouldn't you know make a bunch of people sick if we went all in on movement and the vignetting got us maybe 75% of the way there and then the rest of it was just finding a way to, to canonize mechanics. So that, uh, like Dave said, we don't have teleport, we have dash. And dash is on a meter, and weapons give you more dash, and there are ways to make dash deal more damage, and there are builds that focus on it. And now it's a, a part of the game that everybody can enjoy and not like a, a comfort setting uh, or, a, or a different way of playing the game if you can't play like the quote-unquote real game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how you mapped out the moves for like blocking and melee. Because as a melee fighter, like for jujitsu and karate, this feels closer to me than some games I've played to reality. Like just in the movement of how you will block or how the enemies are actually moving towards you. Oh, that's great to hear. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the goal was definitely to have you striking poses that make you feel and look cool. Because uh, again, it's the kind of thing we wanted to avoid the kind of called Bible Fest, where you yeah. just kind of wiggle the sword around kind of limply and kind of just <laughs> not be into it, but it's the most dominant strategy, so this is what I, I, what I should be doing because I don't have to care that much. <laughs> but we wanted to go for wider gestures. We wanted to have you block in positions that make you feel like you're actually fighting for your life. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of the philosophy of the, the core combat, like once you, once you, even once you factor out motion, is finding ways to make the, the, the motion that 10 year old you wants to do, the best motion to do in the game. Because uh, we found <laughs> that's the best way to really fight against 
like waggling or sort of standing there and not being very into it, if, if you can have that permission to say, no, this, it's okay. This is the right way to play the game. You're not being foolish by doing this. Yeah. I have to tell you, this is the first VR game that I've played at a convention because I usually just buy them and then secretly play them at home because I don't like people watching me do things in VR. So for you, I did this. It, it is like a pretty triumphant poses, but for you, I tried this out because I really wanted to play. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're welcome. It also works nicely and weirdly. Like, if for me, I just blew out my knee the other day doing a stupid hip throw. And so sitting in a chair, you can still do all of this. You don't have to actually be standing, which is interesting because I know there's a lot of talk about accessibility and some things like that. So it's, it's interesting that you can still feel that, like, power and the movement, but you don't actually have to, like, physically run. Yeah, no, it was, it was, a, it was a thing of figuring out how to... I don't know, just make, like, we do a lot with scaling your height in mm -hmm. the game. So when you calibrate, we always make you, I don't know, six foot something. Six foot two. Yeah, so you're always six foot two, regardless of how big you are in real life. And so, <laughs> it's a man's uh, world in this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so whether you're seated or if you're, like, you know, eight years old, like, we have a lot of young kids playing the game, and they, they, they can't get over the fact. It's like, oh, my God, I feel so big and strong. <laughs> uh, and so it's just that kind of... I don't know that those subtle things help kind of uh, make the game feel, I don't know, solid and make you feel powerful. Nice. So let's talk weapons and crafting because that's important. So how does that work in the game? I know your recent patch added some new ones, um, etc. So weapons and how does that work in the game? Because I like to collect things. Yeah. Uh, so the way that you earn weapons in this game is by defeating the different bosses. Uh, so each boss has a number of weapons. I think you get. You start off with five now, like out of the gate. Mm -hmm. uh, and after defeating the first boss, you'll unlock a set of three or four. And then being the second boss, we'll unlock a few more. And then uh, the patch we're working right now will add some additional weapons along with the final boss of the dungeon. Uh, but once you've, once you've unlocked and purchased those weapons, those are yours forever. You use the currency Aether to purchase them. And then you can also use Aether to upgrade their base stats. So in the run, there is kind of temporary progression that you get with uh, the augment stones, which can improve the player stats or the weapon stats by introducing traits. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can get make your swords more powerful from the get by actually upgrading them with Aether in your Rune Forge. I have to say the thing that makes me feel the most powerful in this game stupidly is the power-ups like like i like holding my hand out with my little gauntleted hand and then looking at the three of them and grabbing it out of the air that's super cool yeah no it was it was the kind of thing where we were pro we ended up prototyping that during a jam week i think mm -hmm. uh and it was the kind of thing it was like oh yeah let's just make a thing where you crush stuff that's cool <laughs> and then it's kind of like yeah no this is really cool this has to be the main way you do interact with things in this game uh, and so we just kind of leaned into that and, again, kind of tried to take every all the power fantasy to 11. So how does the forge look? I haven't had a chance to kind of do any of that yet. Is it also, like, interactive, or is it like a screen comes up and you kind of point and click? So it's an environment. It's kind of the, um, it's the, dark, it's the underground kind of base-looking thing. So it looks like uh, similar to the runes that you might be seeing in the tutorial, uh, but the idea is that you are underground, you are hanging out with this runesmith that is the one that's kind of talking to you over the magic radio. Mm -hmm. uh, magic radio. She, yeah, so it's you. she is the one that is providing you with these weapons, and this is her base of operations. Uh, and you are going, you, you together will be working to uh, destroy these monsters that have taken over this place. 
And so it is a safe place. It is underground. It's quiet. It's calm, unlike every other environment in the game. Yeah. Uh, the music reflects that. And we have tried to keep it physical. So there, there is a there is a big uh, indicator that is on the forge where your where all of your ether is stored, so you can see how much you have. Mm -hmm. But uh, buying weapons is physically picking up the uh, the weapon stones and infusing them with aether until they explode and turn into the weapons. Uh, so we've tried to keep all of the in in world interactions physical. Yeah. Yeah, we tried to keep uh, we tried to keep it uh, outside of menus as much as possible. Like, there's no escaping it. But when, when you are in the world, you are in the world. You're not having to interact with some laser pointer out of your finger. <laughs> Good, because that's a terrible part of setting up a VR game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I know you kind of referenced a story, and I there was she was vaguely referring to one when she threw you in the world and said, "Hey, kill things." Is there like a lore behind this, or a story, or is it mostly just like? move through, you know, achieve, get your weapons, kill stuff, enjoy. So there, there is a world. Uh, the amount of story that we're telling is fairly light because, again, we wanted to focus on making the combat feel good. Mm -hmm. But there is, there is a consistent theme. There's a consistent thread. There are reasons for things that are happening, even if they're not all being explained. Uh, it's the kind of thing that, especially for early access, it's kind of, we, we wanted to see what folks' reaction was and to see how much more people want to learn about this world before we start committing more to it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so there is a story. <laughs> Future <laughs> DLC setup. <laughs> right now it is very much, um, we, we use it as a, as a nice uh, springboard for coming up for new mechanics, for new weapons, for new enemies. Like there is a lore Bible uh, and we do sort of hang things off of that. So mm. there, there is a lot more that we don't talk about. Like the weapons have stories behind each one that are living in a spreadsheet somewhere just because we couldn't find the uh, the right place to get them into the game but they're those are nice plot threads for us to pick up on later yep excellent yeah especially named weapons are super cool i'll be looking yeah. forward to that so how is early access going good i mean i think we have a good small community on our discord that has been very uh, engaged uh we've been getting a lot of great feedback just about what people are liking, what people wish that was different. I mean, almost immediately into launch, one of the first pieces of feedback we got was like, oh my god, I wish walking was just a little bit faster. And so it was like, okay, good. Like, we dialed it back a, a very far away because we wanted to make sure no one would get sick. But mm -hmm. we probably dialed it too far back. And so this is a case where it's like, oh, okay, this is an easy thing to change, and it makes everyone happy, and it's great. Uh, and so, I don't know, it, it, people have been very excited to stream the game, to show it off to their friends. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with how it's gone so far. I think the critical reception has been great. Uh, and I'm just eager for more people to see it and play it. Yeah, great. Now, <laughs> from a purely professional standpoint and interest in this, how is this Trello announcement board working for you? Because that's, that's a hit or miss in my world. I, I like that you have all that stuff there that people can access. Do people use that? Like, is it worth, is it worth the time? Like, industry secrets? Yeah, I mean, it's we want to be as open as we can be. Uh, the the realities of game development are fraught with peril, and it's it, there are times where it's like, can we actually commit to this? Is it, is it right? Thing? Do you put it out there and then suddenly it's exactly. a stone? Disappoint everyone with the fact that like, oh, sorry, we can't actually do that. Whoops. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think we're taking the tack that it's better to be open and transparent and honest about what, what we're doing and what we're planning to do. And to show that, hey, you're giving us this feedback and we are actually trying to respond to it. And it, this felt like a good way to kind of forecast or broadcast what our plans were. 
Yeah, there were a lot of discussions about it early on, but I, I know I'm really happy with how it actually has been turning out. Uh, it hasn't been a whole lot of work to keep updated, and it, it is a nice level of frankness to have with our community. Uh, it kind of showed people up front what features we were planning on, what features we just didn't have the scope to tackle right now, things that we would be pushing off. And I think because of that, we've had nothing but positive response from the uh, patches that we have put out because yeah. people know what to expect. Excellent. Okay, so the obvious questions, you know, where can people get this to play now? Any kind of thing you want to push for where one can get sure. it? Sure. Uh, well, you can purchase this fine video game <laughs> on uh, Steam and the Oculus Store currently. Uh, we are both, we're in the early access program for both the Steam Store and the Oculus Store. Uh, the headsets we officially support are the Rift, the Oculus Rift, the Oculus Rift S, the Vive, and the Index. Uh, there are other headsets you can we support through OpenVR, so you are welcome to try. We can't guarantee that it will work 100%, but uh, we've had pretty good success with people with weird headsets, hmm. so give it a try. Uh, but the next update should be coming out within a couple weeks, asterisk. Uh, <laughs> It'll, it will add the final box to the game, uh, and I'm sure there will be a, a run on the Discord to be the to get bragging rights to be the first person to beat the game once that comes out. Uh, and shortly after that, later on uh, this fall, we'll also have uh, our next update, which will add the harder difficulty settings to the game, which is something that people have been really asking yeah. for on the Discord. Okay, so do you have a, a tentative like launch date, or is it kind of just going to see where it goes? Uh, we've uh, we've been talking about what 1.0 looks like. Uh, we don't have a clear timeline just yet. It's definitely not going to be this year, but uh, we're looking into what the possibilities are. Cool. All right. So as we kind of wrap up, is there anything else you feel like you'd like to share that we missed that you want to get out there? I don't think so. I'm trying to think now. Hmm. I like yeah, I mean, you already you did the part for us where we could tell people to buy the game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I should at least let you have the opportunity at the end of just talking about how awesome the game is. Yeah, no, uh, we we are running weekly challenges on our Discord, so if you are interested in winning some Until You Fall swag, uh, be sure to join our Discord and keep an eye out for those challenges. Right now, uh, we are asking people to get to the end of the dungeon with daggers only. So mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it's like, oh, beat the game without getting hit, or beat the game with these specific weapons. So we're just trying to we're trying out fun little challenges that uh, keep everyone engaged. So if you want stickers, shirts, posters, that kind of cool stuff. Uh, inflatable swords, you know. <laughs> yes, of course. Right. Essentials. Essentials. All right. Well, a huge thanks to Dave and Patrick for being on, and I will put, of course, in the in the text below this video where you can pick this up, and I think you should because it's awesome. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.